Good evening, everyone. How are you doing? Hope you're well and enjoying a bit of sunshine. Um, gosh, you had so many notice sheets, but you're still between you. <laughs> made, made heavy weather of it, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that was quite rude and I've only just started. Um, anyway... If you have a Bible, it would be great for you to open it, if you could please, at um, Acts 2. So last week, Chris spoke um, about Acts 1 and about the Spirit coming um, at Pentecost. He, He spoke about Acts 1 into Acts 2. And he talked about how when the Holy Spirit came... um, that then the people were able to do extraordinary things and where in the morning there was just 150 believers by the end of the day there were then uh, 3,000 and Chris challenged us to think about what we could do if we were filled with God's spirit in the same way so I'm going to speak about Acts 2 from verse 14 so if you've got your phone or a bible or something like that um, then maybe you could follow with me Acts 2 verse 14 Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I think I might swap. Thank you. Is it there? Amazing. Great. So, um, this second bit of Acts 2 then is Peter's explanation of what has just happened at Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the believers as tongues of fire and they're all speaking in these different languages. And I imagine if something like this happened in the middle of Ealing Broadway, um, you would probably stop and you would probably stare and you would probably be quite inquisitive as to what was going on. This spirit falling and people speaking in all different tongues. And equally, the people who saw this happen 2,000 years ago were mostly Jews. And as it says here, they were amazed and perplexed. And they suggested that maybe these people had had too much wine. And so to try to explain what's going on, Peter stands up to give what is the first recorded Christian sermon. And it's an absolute belter of a sermon. I imagine there were some preachers standing at the side thinking, gosh, how will we ever follow this? Because he explains what's going on really quite carefully and very, very well. But I don't want my use of the word sermon to put you off because you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm never going to give a sermon, so I don't really need to listen to how Peter goes about it. Because actually, all he does is explain what's going on. And I think that all of us are called to explain what's going on in our faith. And I think his formula for doing this is really quite interesting and something that we can all learn from. So I'm going to stop calling it a sermon and I'm going to start calling it an explanation. I think his explanation can be broken down into three parts. He starts off by explaining what the Holy Spirit is doing in context. Secondly, he explains the gospel. And thirdly, he then invites everybody to be a part of what's going on. And you know, when I read Peter's words this week, I had to ask myself those questions. Am I really ready, when asked, to explain my experience of faith? Am I really ready, when asked, to explain the gospel really clearly? And am I really ready to then invite others to join in with this? Perhaps as we work our way through, you might want to ask yourselves the same questions. So firstly, Peter explains the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is happening right in front of their eyes. And I wonder if you've ever been in a church, and like these Jewish people, um, you don't really understand what's going on. I've always been to church my whole life, but recently I've gone to some very different types of churches to this one, churches that are much more traditional. And in those types of churches, I'm sure you've been to those churches too, the vicars wear robes and there's a highly decorated altar and there's lots of liturgy and sometimes there's some incense. And I was sat in one of those services and I was thinking, gosh, I'm a Christian and I don't really know what's going on here. 
Because there was no point in the service where anybody explained, okay, this is why we're saying this liturgy. This is why we're doing the incense. This is why it looks like this. I thought, gosh, if I don't understand, and I'm a Christian, I've always been to church, how do other people understand what's going on? But then equally, about a month ago, I was confirmed here in the evening service. And some of my friends came along, and some of my friends had never been to church or hadn't been to church for a very long time. And what we do here was really alien to them. And they were sat there thinking, why is there not really a decorated altar? Why is there a band? And why are people putting their hands in the air? And why are the vicars not wearing robes? And I thought, gosh, before they got here, I didn't really explain what was going to happen. I didn't really prepare them for what it was going to be like. And I wonder if they thought, I can't really take part in this because I don't really understand what's going on. And I'm not saying that every time we do something in church that we need to pause and explain, now this is what's happening so that everybody understands. But when I reflected on it this week, I couldn't help but think that we can learn something from Peter here because he explains really carefully and really clearly exactly what's going on. And I don't think we can assume whether we like traditional church or whether we like more contemporary church like here at St. Paul's that people who come from outside know what we're doing and what's going on. And I wonder if all of us, not just the people who stand at the front here, have a bit of responsibility to try to explain it in as down-to-earth a way as possible. So straight away, when these Jewish people are getting a bit weirded out by the speaking in tongues and everything that's going on, Peter stands up, doesn't he? And he says, fellow Jews and all of you that live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And he speaks with confidence and with wisdom. He knows his audience. He knows he's talking to Jews. So he uses terms that they understand. He refers to their scripture, what we would call the Old Testament, and he quotes from Joel because he knows that they'll understand that. He says, what you're seeing here is the outpouring of the spirit that Joel said was going to happen. And he explains that in contrast to the past, now that Jesus has come, everybody is invited to be a part of it. He says, sons, daughters, young and old men, everybody can experience this salvation. When people have asked me, why does that happen in church? Or why is this happen, happening in church? I think often I do have an answer, but for some weird reason, I kind of stutter it out or don't manage to explain myself clearly. And I feel oddly underprepared. I don't know, maybe if that's a feeling that you have experienced. And I feel really inspired by the clarity and conviction with which Peter speaks here. And I wonder if you're challenged by that too. How could we be clearer? How could we speak with more conviction when we try to explain what's going on? Secondly, Peter then goes on to really succinctly explain the gospel. And he brings the whole focus of the conversation back to Jesus. They're kind of asking him about tongues of fire and speaking in different languages. And he brings it back to talk about Jesus. 
2,000 years on, things haven't really changed, have they? When people want to talk to you about faith, they don't really want to talk about Jesus. They want to talk to you about why you have a band and not an organ, or what do you think about gay marriage, or issues. Those are the things that people want to talk about when they talk about religion. And actually, I think what we can learn from Peter here is that we've got to bring it back to the gospel. Of course, let's talk about issues, but bring it back to Jesus. That's the most important thing that Peter does here and what we can learn from him. Remarkably, in verses 22 to 24, Peter explains the gospel in three sentences. I thought to myself this week, can I do that? Can you do that? Can you explain the gospel in three sentences? We have a bit of a phrase in my family called, just give me the headlines. And, do you know, I'm really bad at reading non-fiction. If we go on holiday, I really like to read fiction. But luckily, my husband, Mark, loves reading non-fiction. He likes reading history books. And um, this is very good for me because whenever we go somewhere, I quite like to know a bit of the history, but I can't be bothered to read about it. So he, like, we went to America at Easter, and he read this massive book about the Pilgrim Fathers, which I think is quite impressive. And every different place we visited, I would say, can you just give me the headlines? Just summarize for me what happened in the chapter about the place where we're now at. And he would kind of distill the whole long chapter into about three sentences so that I felt that I was cultured, even though I hadn't done any of the legwork. And um, recently, my siblings and I have adopted this phrase with my mum as well on the phone, because um, mum always likes to tell the long version of the story, when actually, it's not that I'm not interested, but I'm just interested in the headlines. (laughs) And so um, we sort of had this conversation with her, and we were like, mum, sometimes you take an hour over what you could maybe say in 10 minutes. So we don't want to be rude, but maybe we could like have a phrase just to remind you to get back on track. And we decided that the phrase was going to be like, mom, just, just give me the headlines. And it seems to have worked really quite well. She's making a concerted effort to get to the point. And, and you know what? Peter is really good at giving the headlines. Like I said, he explains the gospel in three sentences. He says, Jesus was sent by God and performed miracles amongst you. It was part of God's plan that he was crucified for your sins. Then he was raised and he triumphed over death. And now he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. Bang. Three sentences. There's the gospel. And when told... The gospel has power. Romans 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to all those who believe. And it says that those that were there in Acts, those that were listening, the Jews that were listening, were cut to the heart. There was nothing complicated or verbose about what Peter did. He just told the gospel in three sentences. And translated more directly um, from the Greek where it says cut to the heart, actually what it means is that their hearts were pierced or penetrated with pain. They were really challenged by his three sentences. 
And you know, postmodernism has meant that at times we really dilute the gospel for fear of what it calls people to do. And I, of all people, am really, really bad at that. But in reality, there isn't anything fuzzy about the gospel. It demands a response, and it really does cut to the heart. Look what happens here in verse 37. It says, the people were overwhelmed, and they reply, what shall we do? So I was really challenged this week to see if I could summarize the gospel in in three sentences. And I'm going to throw that right back on you and encourage you this week to think about, could you do that? Could you tell somebody the gospel in just three sentences? And finally, in the last part of his explanation here, Peter invites everyone to be a part of what's going on. He says to them, you need to repent and you need to be forgiven. And he says, the invitation is for all of you, for those that are here, for your children and for everybody that you know. Uh, Mark and I will be 28 in a few weeks' time. And when you're around that age, 28 or in your early 30s, it's prime wedding time, is it not? So we've got seven weddings this summer, and that's basically what we're going to do for every week of the summer holidays. And I, I thought twice about doing this because in some senses, showing off all my invitations is actually not great, is it? Because you might feel a bit jealous that maybe you haven't been invited to anything. But, but I thought I was going to do it anyway. <laughs> Because I'm really proud of all my invitations. Anyway, so I'm just going to talk you through some of the weddings that we're going to. So I'm really excited about them. Um, and, and all of them are great. All of them are great and will be great, I'm sure. But there's a limit on all the invitations. There's a like, you're invited, but. Okay, here's the first one. This one is my favorite, actually. So the invitation is like, if you can see it, it's like, it's like a penguin classic. Isn't that cool? Somebody spent a lot of time on that. And uh, so this is Carl and Orla on the 2nd of August. And what's great about this wedding is that it's like the day of the wedding. And then there's this, which is the day before, which is called the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner. And because I'm reading at their wedding means that I get invited to the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner. So I get two dinners, two days in a row, which is amazing. But Hilariously, this goes Mark and Rachel. This one just goes Rachel. (laughs) So we are invited, but there is a limit. Mark's not coming to the rehearsal dinner. Okay, Uh, this one, this one is exciting. So one of my cousins is marrying a farmer's daughter in Cumbria, and they're having this great kind of rural extravaganza. And um, their invitation is very cute and rural. And <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know quite, I have to change my outfit and not wear heels if I'm going to walk through a field. I haven't really thought about that yet. But a great invitation, but it says really clearly, no children. <laughs> so you are invited, but no children. Uh, there is a limit on that invitation. And this one, this is the last one I'll show you. I mean, you can just tell by the font that this is going to be posh, can't you? I don't know if you can see, but this is going to be posh. I would say these people are our poshest friends. We're going to have to step up the outfits for this one. So you were invited to the wedding of Jennifer and Patricia to Marcus Guy Olivier 
Um, this is like a three-day extravaganza in the Cotswolds, which, yeah, we'll need quite a run-up at that. But, um, but there's a limit. Like, it will end. It will be a great celebration, but eventually it will end and we'll all come home. <laughs> and the reason why I show you those is because, actually, if I had to summarize the Bible in one word the word I would use is invitation. Because throughout the whole Bible, that's what the narrative is all about. It's an invitation to live in relationship with Christ. And as Peter says here, this is for you, this is for your children, and this is for everybody you know. And the amazing thing about this invitation that Peter talks about here is unlike all of those, there is no limit. Everybody is invited and it will last forever. It's the best invitation there has ever been or there will ever be. And you know, this week I thought, gosh, Rachel, how many times are the words of that invitation on your lips? And if I'm honest with myself, not enough. Because it feels oddly intangible to invite somebody to a relationship with Christ. But actually, it is the invitation that trumps all other invitations. Peter was really bold. And the consequences of his boldness were really quite remarkable. 3,000 people were believers by the end of that day. So to finish, Peter's sermon or explanation is quite impressive and I think offers us something really clear that we can learn from. And I want to finish where I started, which was with those three questions. And what I'm going to ask you to do, if it's okay, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads, maybe close your eyes to help you concentrate. But I'm going to ask you those three questions that I started with. And maybe one of them challenges you more than the others. And if so, in the silence, I wonder if you could just maybe ask God to help you with that thing, to help you get better at that particular thing. So here we go. Are you ready to explain your experience of the Holy Spirit? Can you give the headlines of the gospel in three sentences? And are you ready to invite all that you know to be a part of this? Heavenly Father, 
I would really like to explain in the way that Peter does here. And I pray that some of that clarity and confidence that he has would be something that you give to us in order that we might be able to explain to those that we know what you've done for us and what you're doing in us. Amen.